you for being here with us this morning, and uh, we hope that you've been blessed. Um, I know it's maybe a little different than some of you are accustomed to. Some of the rest of us are getting used to it ourselves, amen? But we've been blessed here. This is our third week of trying this format. Um, in addition to this, and more, more importantly, we feel that the main expression of church is to gather together in communities throughout the week and to um, live lives of blessing and service to people who are who God has placed in our, our life. And so sometime in the near future, we will have our different missional communities, as we call them, uh, just sort of do a little advertising for each missional community. And, and the hope is that each and every person here would be a part of one. And uh, you could say, well, that sounds like a mission and a group that is of interest to me. So stay tuned for that. But you can find out more information, of course, on... Uh, our website, bangorsda.org. Um, but why don't we have a prayer as we, as we get into a teaching this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are good to us. We pray that you would help us understand that there is a story going on. We're all part of a story. So help us to find our place in that story is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in 1998, there was a movie that came out, a blockbuster movie that had a very interesting uh, narrative, a very interesting plot. Some of you may have seen it. I won't ask for a show of hands because, you know, sometimes some people frown upon movies. But nevertheless, in my younger days, I was 17 years old in 1998. You can do the math then, right? I'm a young guy. Uh, I, I remember watching this movie, and I didn't appreciate to the full extent the plot of this movie or understand kind of the larger implications. Of course, as most movies are, was primarily made to make money. That's, I think, probably what most movies are made for. But anyway, the movie had an interesting plot line. It, it starred uh, a man by the name of Jim Carrey, and uh, he was the main character, and his name was Truman Burbank. I don't know if any of you heard, recall this movie. It was called The Truman Show. Yes, it's only rated PG, by the way. I was in, in, uh, interested in that as I look back at some of the information this week. But it was uh, called The Truman Show, and this was the plot line. Truman, from birth, was raised by a television production company. And his whole life was actually a television show. And everybody in the world knew that except for Truman, right? Even the actors and actresses that were on the show were in on the plot. They knew what was going on. And so Truman was literally the only person that didn't realize. But every moment of every second of every day of his life was broadcast to millions of people around the world. And so people would just sit there watching him sleep, watching him eat, watching him brush his teeth, watching him go to work. And it was a, it was a hit television show. They were on this island that happened to be on the, the biggest television set in the world. And there was even, it was like a dome that the, the, the director, who was played by, name, by name of Ed Harris, 
he was able to direct every little minute detail of Truman's life. He was able to cue thunder. He was able to cue lightning and rain and sunshine. And so everybody was in on the plot but Truman. Fascinating show. I won't tell you how it develops. Not that I'm encouraging you to go home and watch it. But uh, there comes a point where he suddenly realizes slowly but surely that, wait a minute, maybe I am on this television show and I don't realize it. And there, there are ways where he's, he's trying to figure that out and then he ultimately tries to figure out how to get off the show. And uh, as I said, I won't tell you how that develops. But you know what? As you watch that, that, that movie, it produced questions in my mind. Like, what if we are all just on this big television show? What if, what if life is just this staged event that we're not aware of? We think we're going through this plot line that we have control over, but there's actually this director that's pulling the strings. What if, what if God acts that way? What if God is like the grand director who is, who is controlling events in our lives? Or what about, maybe just even this, what if we were a part of this big drama, this big story that we have largely been unaware of, but we are integral part players, actors in this big drama, this big story. Could Shakespeare have been right? All the world's a stage, he said, and all the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. What if, what if, what if this world that we live on is this giant stage that we happen to be a part of where we are merely players in the play, the drama, the unfolding story that is taking place. I want to look at a very uh, interesting story in the Bible that actually pulls the curtain back a little bit on this possibility as we recognize that maybe there's something bigger going on than you and I realize. Maybe there's a story behind the story. Maybe our lives have more context than simply us waking up every morning, going to work, doing the, going through the motions, coming home, going to bed, waking up the next morning and doing it all over again. Now, some of us have the privilege of retiring from that. Amen? But then what happens? You wake up and do what, right? Maybe there's a bigger story. Maybe there's a larger narrative going on. There's a story that is, by a, who is, that is about a man named Job. Have any of you ever heard of Job? He was a character in, in the Bible, in this sacred text that we believe is inspired of God. And scholars, people who study the Bible, actually believe that this story is the oldest written story in the whole Bible. It's fascinating. Even though it's not chronologically, if you are open this book, even though it's not chronologically the first book that we have in the final form of this book, people who really are smart, a lot smarter than I am, have come to conclude that this story is probably the, the earliest written part of the Bible. Now, there's a story about Job, and let's see how the story unfolds according to the book, Job. It says, now there was a day 
when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now that phrase in and of itself is an interesting phrase because it says the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now elsewhere in the Bible, this ancient text, it actually, when it traces the line of Jesus, it goes back and it says Jesus was the son of Joseph, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. And it goes all the way back to Adam, who was, according to the Bible, the first human being. It goes all the way back to Adam, and it has this, has this interesting phrase that says that Adam was the son of, anyone know? The son of God. So there seems to be the sense in which people from this planet are children of God. But Maybe there's more to the story as well, because notice who also comes to present himself before the Lord. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and who? Satan. Now, this, of course, is a very interesting character. No doubt, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard this idea of a Satan existing. You've heard this idea of of God and Satan being two opposing forces, But Satan, for whatever reason, has been granted the privilege to come before the Lord. And he's there with the other sons of God. And what happens? Satan also came among them, and the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord, and he said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth. An interesting expression to use. What Satan is basically saying is, listen, I'm marking out my my territory. I have the legal rights to be on earth, and I, I would like to propose to you, this is me speaking now, I would like to propose to you that Satan is coming as the one who claims jurisdiction over this land, over this earth. And so he is coming as the rightful representative of the earth, because If you are familiar at all with the narrative of Scripture, Satan was there in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, these two human beings that were the first created human beings, and he has tempted Adam and Eve into following his ways, and so Satan has now claimed authority over the earth. Does that make sense? He has now claimed the right to be the representative of earth. And what I'd like to propose to you is that these other sons of God are perhaps, just consider this, they are perhaps representatives of other places in the universe. Just, I'm just going to throw that out there to you. Elsewhere, the, the writer Paul, he comes along in the book of Ephesians and he says that there are actually principalities and powers in heavenly places. In other words, there's these really important beings that exist in the universe, and Paul actually says that they are watching planet Earth. They are noticing what especially those who take on the name of Jesus are doing. So I would like to propose to you that Satan is here coming as representative of planet Earth, and he is speaking up now on behalf of his rightful authority and position. Now, what does the Lord say? He said, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. We don't know exactly why God the Lord in this passage, Yahweh is what he's referred to in the ancient language. We're not exactly sure why God had said this to Satan, but apparently he wants to now focus the story on this man named Job. And and God says to Satan that this is a really, really good person. Job is a really upstanding citizen of the earth. And so God is wanting to now focus the attention on Job and call Satan's attention to him as well. I think probably what Satan was doing, this is just speculation, but I think probably what Satan was doing was he was claiming full domain over earth, and he was saying, you know, that earth down there, they're all following me. They're all doing what I want them to do. And God is saying, oh, but hold on, time out. There is a man, there's a man named Job, and he's not following your ways, so maybe you don't have as much jurisdiction over the earth as you think. But you know, I'm fascinated. What fascinates me is that there are these two extraterrestrial, if I could use that term, beings that are discussing the affairs of a human being. Isn't that interesting? That there's actually God having a conversation about this human being with, in this case, Satan. And it seems what is happening is that Satan is going to this heavenly council in heaven and he is giving an update on his planet just as the other sons of God are doing about their planets. They're giving an update as almost like a a giant congress session where each representative comes from their corner of the country, you know, and they give updates and they talk on behalf of their their, their, uh, constituency. I think that's probably what's going on here, is that there's this discussion about each creature that God has created. And so this human being becomes the topic of conversation. Have you ever considered, have you ever paused to think about how you might be the topic of conversation among heavenly agents? Isn't that an interesting concept? That there, there's something bigger going on than just you and me going through our day, doing our thing, keeping our head down. Well, notice what happens. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? He's like, yeah, he might be doing nice things, but he's doing it for some other benefit that he could derive from his obedience. He said, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So in other words, what Job is saying is, the only reason, what, what Satan is saying, the only reason Job is doing this is because you have, you have protected and, and, and kept him safe. If you removed your protection from him, psh, you see what happens, right? Now what does God do? Now this is a fascinating story. We, don't, we won't go through the whole book of Job. But the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And the rest of the book unfolds this this experience where Satan is trying to do all he can to to, to move Job off his 
commitment to God. And, and we're not going to unpack that, but I, what I want us to recognize is that there seems to be a story that is going on behind the story. It's interesting. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series that went into a, a, series, a movie series as well, he said, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament, and of course the Old Testament would be the same, seriously, was that it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to the same power, held to be the, the power behind death, and disease and sin. Christianity agrees that this universe is what? This universe is what? Is that, is that much of a surprise to us? We can certainly see war going on on this planet, can't we? But he says that the universe is at war. The whole universe is experiencing this upheaval and this back and forth and this, and this, this tug of war between two forces. But it does not think this is a war between independent powers, Lewis says. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the what? Is that too hard for us to wrap our minds around? Probably not, right? We look at the world around us and we see all the pain and the suffering and the misery and the agony and the heartbreak. And we can understand that there seems to be this other force that is, that is having his way on this planet. But the point being that I would like us to consider is that could it be that you and I are a part of this larger drama, this unfolding story, this unfolding narrative where you and I are a part of this story and it has bigger implications than just whether you and I, when it's all said and done, go to the right place or the wrong place. Some of us spend a lot of time thinking about that. Well, what happens when, I'm, when I die? Where, where will I go? Will I go to heaven? Will I go to hell? Will I just cease to exist? And we spend a lot of time worrying about that. We spend a lot of time wondering whether we are saved or not. Some of us, especially if we've been Christians, and I think what the Bible wants us to see is, though that is an issue, there is really this larger story that should captivate and capture our imagination. And you and I are an important part of this larger story. Our stories have meaning because they are a part of a larger story. Our stories have meaning because they are a part of God's story. Check this out. The Apostle Paul he said, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made, check this out, we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. So, that word for spectacle is actually, thank you, Aaron, I'm not sure if that's going to solve the problem, but. Uh, that word spectacle is actually in Greek. Check this out. It's the word theater. Did you know that? That we have been made a theater to the world. And the word for world is actually the word cosmos. 
from whence we get the term cosmology, which is the study of the universe. So we have been made a theater to the universe, and it says both to angels and to men. And so our lives have a larger context. They have a larger audience than simply whether we make it to work on time. Now, some of us might hear this, and we might get a little afraid. Think, oh my goodness, people are watching me, like the Truman Show. Like they're seeing everything I do, every step I take, every good thing, every bad thing. This audience is not watching for the purpose of trying to catch us doing bad things. The audience is watching this unfolding narrative, this unfolding story, this unfolding drama to see how God's future is going to play out, to see how the story will end to see if God can have not simply one Job who stayed faithful to him, but whether God could have a whole community, a whole body of people who are living out lives of other-centeredness, living out lives that, that demonstrate the power of God's love. Because really, the story behind the story is not whether you're good enough. It's not whether I'm good enough. The story behind the story is, is God good enough? Is God who he says he is? Because this is what the the tug of war is about. Is God really worthy of love? Is God really worthy of allegiance? Is God really worthy of being honored and followed? And Satan is basically saying, you know what? This Job guy... If, if you weren't giving him the goodies, if you weren't giving him the benefits, he wouldn't be following you. In other words, people only follow you for the benefits you can give them. But Jesus, the Son of God, came to show us the heart of God so that when you and I, when you and I step into an experience of faith, we can be a reflection of his character to not only other human beings, but the universe around us. Check this out. Our lives have so much significance that they, they, it goes beyond simply our little own sphere. Check this out. Our lives are so significant that our actions affect the universe's future. Isn't that a pretty startling thought? That, you know, we, we all want to be significant, don't we? We all want to feel like we have importance. We all want to feel like, I can be a star and I can change the world. Did you realize that your life is so important and significant that your actions will ripple into the future and into the universe's future? That everything you do has the capacity to affect the well-being not only of the people around you, which is really important, but it has the capacity to affect literally in a real way what happens as the universe's future unfolds, as God's future unfolds. Isn't that an amazing thought? That elevates everything you do to a larger capacity, doesn't it? It helps you understand that your life is more than just about going through the motions, that your life is more than just going to work and whatever it is that we do, that our lives actually have the ability to affect the whole universe as we are 
surrendering to the love of Jesus. Now, as I said, that might be scary to some of us. But to think that God could be so humble, actually, that his character can be so full of love that he wants us to be a part of his story. God could just pull rank, and he could say, whatever I do goes, and whatever I want goes, but instead he invites us to be a part of his story. You want to be a part of his story? You want to be a part of his unfolding future? You want to be a part of something bigger than just going through the motions? I think that we have an awesome opportunity by his grace to do just that. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that there is a story behind this story, that there's something bigger going on simply than our little lives. We know that you love us and that we are worth everything to you. And if it was just us, you would still pour out yourself to bring us into your family. But we know that ultimately what you want is for people to recognize that you are a God of love and a God of commitment. And Father, we pray that we would step into that story by your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.